Hi friends, I'm Molly, your host today, and thank you for joining our Relief from Darkness podcast where we're having conversations with people who've walked out of various hard places in their lives and straight into freedom through Christ. So today we're going to be hearing from David and his experience with addiction. David is a volunteer with No Boundaries as well as a leader of a community outreach from his local church. He's also co-founded a nonprofit called Hope for Change, where they focus on meeting the needs for change in people in hard places. He is a former drug addict who's been transformed into a brand new creation in Christ. Hi, friends. I'm Molly, and we are here today with our Relief from Darkness podcast crew, where we're continuing our conversations exploring how we can truly be set free from the stuck places in our lives. And we are talking anything ranging from anxiety to depression to eating disorders to nightmares and seriously everything in between because we really do believe that the thought process that have us in these stuck places can be healed. And as our thought processes heal and change, our brains start to change. And if you change your brain, then you change your life. Woo woo! So for today's session, we're going to be hearing from David and his experience with addiction. So he's going to be sharing some of his story. And then we also have our very own brain geek, Dr. Lori Basie. Hey, guys. And she's here for my favorite part of the brain dump portion of the show. So we're super excited. So let's get started. So first off, the definition of addiction is physically and mentally dependent on a particular substance and unable to stop taking it without incurring adverse effects. Or it can also mean enthusiastically devoted to a particular thing or activity. So with that, David, can you just tell us a little bit about your walk with addiction prior to knowing Jesus? Um, I started when I was 36. Okay. Um, Went on a, I was recently divorced after a long marriage, and we went up to a, a resort up in a timeshare that we owned in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I was not, I was depressed. I was sad because I was just recently divorced, only a couple months. And yeah, um, so a f- few of my friends were sitting there, and I couldn't figure out why they were going in and out of the bathroom all night. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm depressed while we're playing cards. And so uh, I got up and sat on the couch, and all of a sudden, my friend Jimmy comes walking over, and he goes, hey, you're really depressing us. And boom, handed me this mirror, and it had a couple lines of white stuff on it, and I said, try this. You'll be better. And so I did, and but I started talking, mm-hmm. and I started getting involved, and I started socializing with everybody. So it turned into a form of getting just getting out and being social to where then it became a way of life and stuff. So uh, I remember coming back that weekend and there was some girls in the back and they were talking about they wanted to find it, but they didn't have any money. And Hey, I have money. Where can we get it? I didn't know where to get it. And they took me and I met my first dealer. Well, the dealer saw I had money. So of course he was sinking into me and stuff. And uh, next thing you know, he's teaching me what to buy, how to buy it. And, and like I said, that's how it went. So how was that like, how did that affect your relationship with others? And what was your relationship with Jesus like at the time? I had no relationship. I was a Catholic yeah. who had went to church. But at this point, after my divorce, um, it was kind of funny. That was the final straw for throwing me out of the, for me leaving the church, sort of, because I went to my priest and said, hey, I'm getting divorced. 
And he literally looked at me and said, I didn't realize you were married. And I thought, what's the point? You know? Yeah. So now there was many times where like on Christmas Eve, you still kept traditions. You had to go. Mm-hmm. And I would show up on Christmas Eve stoned, high, drunk, leave the bar and go to what I was doing, what I was supposed to do. You know, it would keep me out of hell. And um, so that was that was the extent of my relationship. I knew who he was, but uh, yeah. as long as I... I don't know. I had my confirmation. They told me I was safe. I was going to heaven. So yeah. <laughs> it was one of them things. Did you have any like relationship with people in the church at this time or like what no. was your community like? My community was me. And at this point when I started doing drugs, my mm-hmm. community changed. Uh, married. Every one of my friends were married friends. I had hung out. We hung out with married couples that had kids, even though we didn't have kids. Uh, we did have a granddaughter that we raised and stuff. But um, so those people just kind of walked away from because they were still happily married. And, yeah. you know, honestly, this was in my life, probably the first time in my life I felt like I ever failed, you know. So yeah. I didn't want to be around these people that were still happy. Even if they weren't happy, they were still together, you know. So um, community changed. I was kind of let nobody get near me. Yeah. Nobody could get close because the one person I did like get close, we divorced, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the drugs is what I allowed people in my life, but it also was, hey, we're only here because of drugs. So there's no reason to let you get close. Yeah. So. And what was your like internal like? Like were you like, how did you feel? Did you feel like at peace or like happy or was it like, what was that like? I didn't care. It, yeah. it, it went to a, I really struggled with the, the thought of the failure thing because something like when I was 11, I failed once and swear I would never let that happen again. And, and here it was 36 years old and it happened again and there's something happened and I just couldn't deal with the failure. So um, even though in the end, I, it wasn't my fault that the marriage ended, you know, mm-hmm. I took it as I must have done something wrong. That's why the, the marriage ended. And then the drugs just, I didn't care what happened. Like if I, I went from a secure place as an executive with a major company mm-hmm. to getting in the fights, chasing repos, you know what I mean? Being shot at, hanging out in bars and, and just, you know, it was like, let's see how far we can push this. God really had to protect me when I didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Dr. Lori. Can you just give us the brain dump of addiction or using David's story, like what was going on psychologically? It's interesting. A lot of times we hear people need to change their circle of influence, but he went from bad to ugly or, and I don't even know if it was really bad to start with, but it doesn't sound like it was intimate God connections with people that were thrusting you towards Christ and you thrusting them towards Christ. So the interesting thing about this is several different things is that we're at a really vulnerable time in our lives. And if we needed to just wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and put fragile on ourselves, this would have been a time for David when we experience a great deal of loss or if we're bored or if we just don't care or we've had uh, if we have sadness or loneliness or lack of connection then at that time, it's so dangerous that if we're not connected to healthy relationships and if we don't know 
what we'll say no to, we'll find ourselves saying yes to a lot of things that'll lead to really dark, dark places, which is what happened with him. And so with connection, he lost his connections and he's at a really dark place. He's not connected with God and never has had really a connection with Jesus Mm -hmm. and thinks that I think kind of from the religious standpoint that we make the world and the universe and everything centered around us. And if we'll just do what we need to do to stay out of hell, which is not relationship with Jesus, then we we've done all we can do with our connection with him. And then we reconnect with people that are really unhealthy and we do a lot of unhealthy things and just not care. And so I think at that point, then our brain and the the P and the psychoeducation of all of this, we get addicted. And literally, you can watch brain scans and see the images of a brain that does coke. And then you end up, what did you say, chasing repos or being shot mm-hmm. at? Yeah. And, I mean, just this whole different world and life where your routine has just totally been altered. David, how did you get out of that? Or like, how did Jesus meet you in this? Jesus met me in a baptism for that. Um, it, it was kind of, uh, I had been arrested. I, you know, I went from not only just doing cocaine, that led to meth, that led to crack, that led to, you know, it was never enough to where I became a drug trafficker, you know what I mean, with the marijuana and bringing it across state lines and, mm-hmm. and then finally got arrested, you know, and that's where I believe Jesus started working on me saying, hey, my turn, you know, and yeah. uh, I went through three years with that and what have you and of clean. And then as soon as I started getting back on my feet, I could find an excuse to get back to drugs. And so I still didn't, I was learning about Jesus. I was working with Jesus. I was actually in seminary and, but my relationship was still just forming, I believe. And it yeah. was just, I don't think I fully trusted him until that day when I went into the baptism mm-hmm. and uh, made a promise and walked out of that baptism completely sober and have never touched it again. So what did the promise look like? I, when, before I went in, I, I said, to the Lord, cause I was high going in. I mean, I was snorting it. I had an eight ball in my pocket with my cigarettes and in my pocket and I'm, <laughs> At the baptism. Yeah. And I so I snorted it one last line before I went into church to get me through church. And I'm going to listen. I knew I was getting baptized that day. And because I had been baptized as a Catholic, but it was like, as I was learning about the Bible, I didn't choose that. That was, that didn't mean anything. So uh, I, lo- I just said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, if you promise, if you can take the desire away from me, I promise I will never touch this again. Mm-hmm. And um, we went through the baptism, and it was funny. The baptism almost didn't happen um, because it ran late. The preacher I was getting, man, could he talk? And (laughs) he finally went so long. He's like, man, we might not be able to. Then he decided to do it, and uh, we did it. And I came out, went underwater high, came out from under the water. I was completely sober. Wow. Went outside, and now that I think about this was not the smartest thing to do, but I took that pack of cigarettes with the eight ball, and I, the, the church I went to was in a really bad neighborhood in Texas, and I just put it under a tree. So there was a lot of homeless, and there was a lot of addiction around that area. And that, yeah. So somebody got lucky that day. You know, they thought God was another reason. But, um, but I left it under the tree, and I've never touched it since. So what has life been like? Like since then, 
clear. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say clear, meaning I I still may have trouble focusing or whatever, but I can get through it. And my, my natural, I don't need false energy to get through my day. I can get through my day without it. Uh, I consult God with everything. I, I hear from God and I don't need I don't need a fake substance to be social with somebody anymore. I don't need a face a fake substance to be close to anybody, you yeah. know, it's or use it to keep people away. Because right. we could do the same thing with both. So well, I did drugs. It was funny if we did drugs together, we had no chance of ever being a couple but or being together because you're just drugs. That's all you're here for. But right. You know, it was just one of those mm-hmm. constantly going around and around. So, Dr. Lori, can you shed some light on kind of like the walkout process from someone who's in addiction? I think it's really good to think about a saying that I've heard repeatedly that the hell that I know is better than the hell that I don't know. And so I think the familiarity at that point in David's life, he's familiar with an eight ball and cigarettes and, but then yet he encounters Jesus. There's a, a saying that we have. And, and the question is, what do you have when a drug addict accepts Christ? And that's a saved drug addict. And then it's, so it's a walkout. And Mm -hmm. I think the walkout is really surrender that we can't, but he can. Yeah. And that it's no longer me, but the spirit within, because I've been crucified with Christ. And and so, again, a real radical encounter with Jesus, where if Jesus doesn't show up, we might as well go home. And that's not religion, and it's not a set of rules, but it's the living Christ encounters us, and we accept him into our hearts, and we have 100% of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. And then he does what he wants. And right. so it's not a democracy It's a a kingdom and he's the king. And then for whatever reason, the king decided to radically intervene when David went under. What a beautiful representation of baptism that the old self is dead and and his high self is (laughs) under the water and he comes out completely sober and hadn't touched it since. Yeah. But then it's a continued relationship. It's not one and done. Then he continues to have a relationship with the son of God who became the son of man, who then is much better than any substance. And so what a radical testimony. It really is just miraculous what Jesus did to meet him right there. And I think we don't have to compare or say, well, I wish if Jesus would do that for me. We just have to surrender to Jesus and ask Jesus what he wants to do so that we know that he's real in our lives. And that's, I think after talking to a few people and David included in my own story, like we have the, Dr. Laura, you taught me this actually, but it's the process until the, and suddenly, Uh or, and it's really like all that stuff before to not discount David, what you, what you did before of like, you started going to seminary and you wouldn't have done that if there wasn't some kind of longing until it was good and ready for that big final surrender where Jesus could meet you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I just don't want to discount the process. That's so good. There's a saying that the game is won way before the game is ever even played. Yeah. And so it's all about the process that produces the end suddenly. And it's whenever we're ready. Like when we're ready for that surrender to say, all right, Jesus, you can have it all. I mean, he meets us in that. I mean, and that, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. One of the things too, when I made that proclamation or to him, I didn't say God if you want me to, or, you know, right. 
I trusted when I said it that it was going to happen. You know what I mean? There was a there was now a trust. Okay. That, you know what I mean? That when I said that to him, it wasn't like, God, if you really love me or uh-huh. if, you know, I'm testing so you. So you believed it. Yeah. When I said it, I believed it. And then that's what it took. I, You know, we all have said, God, if you're real, do this. Yeah. God, if you're real. And then we're like, well, he didn't do it. It mustn't be. Yeah. He's not here to prove anything to us. Right. So you already knew he was real. Yeah. He already did everything he needed to yeah. do. Yeah. And at this point, it was I was ready to step up to him and say, hey. I trust you. You're going to do this. I'm giving you this. You take the desire away. I won't touch it. And the desire was gone. And I mean, I even stopped smoking cigarettes at that point. I didn't even ask for that. That wasn't even in my mind. But I didn't smoke a cigarette after that day either. Yeah. You know? And so. Wow. um, So at that point, I learned that was, I look back and that was the beginning of when I first started trusting that he was in my life because, Mm -hmm. you know, even though I, I, I believe it was the best thing that ever happened to me when I got arrested. Mm-hmm. He was walking me, walking me, walking me through. And then at, at that point, I started learning. I could see back to everything he had walked me through, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't paying attention to him. Yeah. He was still paying attention to me. And um, and that's it. If I remember correctly, you had, like, because you, I mean, you've said, like, the sinner's prayer before. And, like, like will you talk yeah. a little bit about the heart posture change? Yeah, I I've said that sinner's prayer. Uh, I don't know in prison ten times. Every every guest preacher mm-hmm. showed up. Right, their whole goal was to get as many people. And and at the end of the thing, they would say, "Oh, we got fifteen people to raise their hand." Meanwhile, we'd all go out and beat each other up later. You know, it was it, it, there was no change. But I got put in solitary for something I didn't do. It was for protection mm-hmm. because there was a contract out for me, and and somebody showed up on the yard, so I got put in solitary and for 30 days well i was in there i didn't know how long i was going to be in there but after about 28 days of this i just broke down one night i mean i just god i can't do this anymore and i mean my heart just i cry i'm in prison and i'm in solitary yeah and and i'm crying you know what i mean and 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 i just was god i cannot and that was the night i fully i know i was saved none of them prayers meant a you know, there may have been a process of getting me there, but they were just words. Uh, that night, I knew. You know, when I when yeah. when it was done, I don't know how long I cried. I don't know any of this. I know what I just said. I couldn't deal with anymore. That I knew that I was never going to make it outside of this place without him. And then it was the next day. I was released from solitary, and then it was like God was waiting for me to finally surrender. What do I got to do to you? Because I went, that was Memorial Day weekend. That Monday we got, I get called into the office and they say, we're shipping you to Texas to a halfway house. So you're leaving prison completely. All within three days of me, truly, truly. And I think that's when God said, yeah, you're really doing it this time. Yeah. That's for real. That's the, that's the for real one. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's it. We can't get so wrapped up with it just being words on a page or words that we mm. say or prayers that we don't have any real attachment to. Like it has to be out of that relationship. And it's out of that relationship that you get the experiential knowledge. I mean, when mm. you're crying on in the solitary, I mean, you're experiencing the power and the love and the presence of Christ. And it's very different than if you're just saying it to the save me Jesus. Dr. Lloyd, do you have anything to add to that? I think surrender is just the word we keep going back to. Yeah. With our pride and our independence and 
And then I think about Jesus. What would he be doing if we're down here trying to bargain with him? I call it the get me out of jail, Jesus. And we're trying to bargain <laughs> with him and saying, but, oh, Jesus, if you just do this and this and this or a build a God or a build a Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to build you. And I want you to do this, this and this for me. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. And he's already done everything yeah. that he needs to do. And so I think there's a huge difference between get me out of jail or do this for me or build a, build a Jesus versus total surrender and us submitting to the King. And that's what happened. And when that happens, make no mistake, we change something in our environment needs to change and we need to look different than we ever have looked before. You know, when you say that, um, when I first got arrested between then and when I got sentenced, I was in solitary for nine months with, for another issue. And that's where I started learning about Jesus and uh-huh. to get out of jail free. I remember nine months in, I'm, I'm still new, just re- reading the Bible and stuff, but going in to get sentenced, it, well, I didn't say, God, you know, get me out of this or make my sentence. I literally remember saying to him, handcuffed behind my back and everything, Jesus, let this be take be sentenced as long as I need to be to be better. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, I didn't yeah. care. Wow. Make this as long as I need to to be better. And when I walked in, they, you know, they gave me three years and, and that was or 37 months, actually. And, uh, but I was at peace with it because... They could have given me as little as six months. Uh-huh. I could have gotten out without as little as six months. Or as defense, long as. I could have done it as long as 25 years. Wow. wow. So, um, because there was some fighting over my taxes and stuff like that. There was a lot of just issues. Just a little bit of that. Yeah, just a little <laughs> just bit a of few issues. So that's truly the seek first the kingdom yeah. and then yeah. everything else will be. And that was my first time, I think, that I, I truly trusted uh-huh. God in, a, in any way. Because it was like, I'm not going to argue with this. I'm not going to fight. You know, Jesus, whatever you feel I need. Yeah. Surrender. To get better. Mm-hmm. I, I, I trust it. And when he said 36 months, I just, you know, my lawyer looked at me like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, it's yeah. all right. We'll, we'll deal with it. And then in the 36 months, 10 months of it, they sent me to a halfway house. So, you know, it, it wasn't. Wow. Yeah. So. so, David, if it, there was someone listening who was struggling with this very thing or in addiction or kind of like, man, I've tried this before. I've tried Jesus. I've said the sinner's prayer. I'm, you know, whatever that, but they're still in it. Like, what would you say to them? If you're still in it, I would say, hey, don't destroy yourself over it. it it's, it can get better. If you can sit down, I just met a gentleman the other day. He was, he's high. And I'm like, you know, while you're high, sit and talk to him. See if he'll come visit you while, while you're high. Yeah. He can meet you anywhere. But if you're really, really wanting to get out of it and you say to, you know, ask, I'm not going to say to use the same words I did or the same, but I would say, believe it. You yeah. can't say it and not believe it. Um, it's just like when we pray for healing, I can say anything I want, but if you don't believe you're healed, you're not healed. You're not going to be. So if you're really wanting out of addiction and you really believe and you want to give it to Jesus, you got to trust that he's taking it. That if that is what's best for you, and that is what you truly, truly want, don't test them. Don't say, if please, it's got to be, okay, I just gave this to you. I am no longer addicted. And you got to walk as you are no longer addicted. And um, don't go back to it. Again, I go back to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're all new creations in Christ the day we come saved. Well, that's part of being saved. If you're using Christ 
and you're with Christ, you're saved. So if you want that taken away, you got to believe he's going to take it away like a good father. Yeah. So you're brand new. You are brand new. So you can start from anywhere. The old so why not gone. start clean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Lori, mm-hmm. if you could give one takeaway to the listeners, what would that be? I think when we have a radical encounter with Jesus, we're changed. And so we're not substituting with something else. We always see a lot of times that one person will go from one addiction to the next addiction to the next addiction to the next addiction. But David went from final addiction to Christ. And Christ is a only one, the true one that can satisfy. And then yeah. he altered his routine accordingly. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize, here's what I'm hearing. If you're someone who's struggling with addiction right now and you're kind of in this place of like, like Jesus, I, I want I want you and I want to know you and I want to walk out this salvation and I want the new and I want the old dead to just ask him to reveal himself and to surrender it and to just put yourself fully in his hands and to put on the new and to just really say that the old is gone. And that it doesn't have to dictate your life anymore. So you're free. And so to operate out of freeness is just that surrender. And he's so faithful to meet you guys. Like he's just that good. And he'll meet you, like David said, and wherever you are. But that heart posture towards him of wanting him and believing him, I mean, that's it. So thank you, David, for sharing. Thank you, Dr. Lori, for being here. And everyone remember, if you change your brain, you change your life. So thank you for listening to Relief from Darkness, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to our Relief from Darkness podcast. If you would like more information or are looking for more resources to help overcome the topics we've discussed here, please visit the No Boundaries International website at www. .nbint.org, where we have a free e-course titled Journey of Restoration. And be sure to please leave us any comments or reviews as this will help get our content out to more listeners. We're praying for you guys and we will see you next time.